Well, it's great to be back here with you this morning after such a long time away. Um, 38 hours, I make it. <laughs> uh, certainly, this room is starting to look a bit familiar after last week. And uh, it was great, actually, being here and getting to go, not just uh, some of the young people down here, and that's an experience in itself, but uh, also uh, the church and the, the, the way that uh, different people work together and get more of an insight into what actually goes on here. And if you are here for the first time this morning, I can say to you as a non-member, this is a completely unsolicited trip advisory review. This is a great little church. It really is. It's a good place to come to. It really is. It's warm, it's friendly, it's honest, it's sincere, and it's dedicated uh, to letting people know what the Christian gospel is all about. So if it's your first time here, welcome and keep coming again. And I say that as somebody who won't be here next week. <laughs> okay, right. So we're going to be reading this morning from Acts chapter 21. I won't read it just yet, but uh, maybe we could have the, the point up. Yes, that'd be great if we could. And uh, I'll switch this thing on. And um, I've called this talk, Paul Comes to Jerusalem. If you haven't been here, over most of... Uh, the last few months, we've been doing something on the book of Acts, tracing the story of the early church. Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke, is the book in the New Testament that tells you how things developed after Jesus died, rose again, went back to heaven, and uh, the church was left to spread the message all over the ancient world. It's quite a gripping story. And a lot of it's about the Apostle Paul, who was um, one of the greatest travelers uh, of uh, his day. He, it's estimated that he covered something like 10,000 miles, most of it on foot in the course of his work. And he left churches dotted all over the Mediterranean in all the big cities of the known world, ended up in Rome, the capital of the universe in those days. And uh, what he did was just epic. Now, when I was growing up, I had a picture book, a cartoon book of the life of Paul. And I, I read it quite a bit when I was you know, very young. But I remember towards the end, it kind of dipped a bit and I sort of lost interest. And this bit that we're looking at this morning is a bit where I used to lose interest. Why? Because Paul does all of his traveling. He does all sorts of exciting things. Have I got this on? I have. Yes, there we go. But he switched here from being Paul the traveler to being Paul the prisoner. <laughs> at the end of this passage this morning, it's going on to the next one, um, he gets arrested and he'll be in jail for about four years. Well, different jails actually moved on from one point to another. And it's not such a gripping story when you're actually sitting in jail than when you're traveling around and doing stuff and braving all, all sorts of perils. Paul talks in one of his letters about the way his traveling career went. He says this, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. Well, no wonder if all that stuff was happening to you. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Now, for a small boy reading a cartoon book, that is brilliant stuff. But then when the chains go on and he's got lawsuits and discussions and interrogations and stuff like that, you sort of lose interest a bit, don't you? Yeah. It perks up a bit towards the end because he gets shipwrecked again. <laughs> but other than that, it, it all seems a little bit boring. Just to remind you where we've been, um, Paul did three great missionary journeys in his life. This is the first one. It wasn't so big. He was in Antioch in Syria on the right-hand side of the map there and travelled up with his friend Barnabas uh, and uh, a, a lad called Joe Mark and he travelled to Cyprus, then up into what's now nowadays Turkey and then came back the same way, just seeing all the places where they'd been, the churches that had started and went back to Antioch. 
after that, his next journey was when he was in, in Jerusalem at a conference with Barnabas. And they traveled back up to Antioch, and Barnabas said, well, let's, let's go out again. Or was it Paul that said, let's go out again. And the other one said, good idea. And then they fell out. <laughs> and Barnabas went off to Cyprus, the island that you see in the middle of the sea there. Paul went into Asia, not dead sure what he was doing. When I say Asia, that's what's Turkey now. It was the Roman province of Asia in those days. All gets very complicated. And he sort of staggered through Asia, not sure what was happening, until he got to Mysia. And there he had a vision of somebody dressed in foreign clothes, European clothes, saying, come over to our side and help us. So he did. And as you can see, the journey goes down through Greece, and then it comes back across to Ephesus and back to Jerusalem at the end of it. And if he hadn't done that, great parks would not be here, folks, because that was the first time anybody had brought the Christian message to Europe. Then he had his third journey, and his third and final journey was when, uh, again, leaving from Antioch, he traveled on his own through the interior and went back to Ephesus. You see, he called in at Ephesus on his second journey on back to Antioch, but uh, he didn't want to stop because he, he, he knew it was time to go home. So he said to them, listen, I'll come back and explain all of this in some depth to you later on. So this time he trekked across Turkey to, to Ephesus on the coast there and spent two years, nearly three years in Ephesus, preaching uh, and, and teaching all over the place. And churches sprang up, not just in that city, but throughout the entire area round about. And then he went on and, you, well, you can see the way the arrow goes, and uh, he ends up back in Jerusalem. And this is where we start this morning. So let's just read the verses. Okay, here we are. Uh, Acts chapter 21 verse 17 says this. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. He was the kind of head guy in the church in Jerusalem in those days, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? Well, we certainly hear that you've come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so they can have their heads shaved. And everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them our decision that we sh they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So, we'll explain that passage as we go along, but basically I think there are uh, three things going on in it. And uh, it, it all leads up to this, this situation where Paul's in a very different kind of job from the one he's had up until now. This is David Gooding, who wrote a commentary on Acts called True to the Faith, just before he died uh, a few years ago. And at this point, he says this, Gone now were the days of freely preaching the gospel in the synagogues or in the marketplaces. Instead, there began a succession of interrogations, judicial inquiries, appeals, and trials. Hitherto, Paul had straightforwardly preached, lectured, and discussed the gospel. Now he was obliged to defend it. And the first big test was just about to occur at the end of the verses we've read. So what goes on in today's installment of the Paul story? Well, number one, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. 
Second, as we've seen in the reading, the leaders have a request. They say, there are all sorts of rumors circulating about you, Paul. We know those rumors are not true. People say that you've been saying, oh, the Jewish law is useless. Forget it. Don't circumcise your kids anymore. Don't, don't bother about the temple. Just, just, just live the way the Gentiles do, and then you'll be accepted by God. We know you're not saying that. You don't want to upset the Jews by saying all of their customs are rubbish and useless. You're a Jew yourself. Okay, so show them that you are still Jewish. We've got these four guys who've just taken a vow, and they've got to go to the temple to have their hair cut off, which is part of the whole deal. And you can do that too. You go along with them. Show how Jewish you are by going through this ritual at the temple. And pay their expenses too. Oh, Paul had just arrived in Jerusalem bringing a massive gift from the other churches around the Mediterranean, the ones he'd, he'd, he'd formed, because they knew that the Jerusalem, Jerusalem church was hard up. And so he had a bit of money around. And he said, you can pay the expenses of these guys. And when the Jews see you're doing this and putting money behind it as well, they will say, he's as Jewish as we are, and he'll all be happy. Well, in actual fact, it didn't work out that way. And beyond our passage, in the next few verses, and I don't want to pinch somebody else's subject, but what you'll find happening is that the Romans arrest Paul. Because he's coming out of the temple one day while all of this is going through. And a, a mob attacks him and accuses him of doing all sorts of un-Jewish things. And you'll get to that bit, so I won't say any more about it. And Paul would have lost his life if it weren't for the fact that right next to the temple, there was a dirty great Roman garrison, the fortress of Antonia. And they had a commotion, and the Roman soldiers came down. Ah, make a way here, please. What is going on? Let's get that guy. In. And, and they took him into custody. Otherwise, Paul would definitely have been torn limb from limb. <laughs> so maybe the idea of getting himself uh, uh, his hair cut off and all that sort of stuff was not a brilliant idea. And many people, many Bible uh, students say, Paul was absolutely wrong. When the leaders came to him and said, give us a break, just go through this Jewish ritual and everything will be fine, he should have stood out against them. And this is what preachers sometimes say. Paul was wrong. The leaders were trying to keep the Jews happy, and that was never going to work because they were on a collision course with Christianity. And they did not like Christians, and however much Paul had given way, they were still going to put him into trouble. And, uh, oops, come on, do it, that's it. But, uh, and these old Jewish ceremonies don't apply anymore. You don't become a Christian by going through all sorts of temple worship and circumcision and fe festivals and feasts and things like that. All you have to do is believe Jesus. And just in case nobody's got the point this week, let me say it one more time. Salvation is a free gift from God. It's something you don't work for. It's like Stevie giving out a packet of whatever it was to somebody who hadn't done anything to deserve it. I and my wife, I'll let you in on this one, we are going to have a really rich lunch today. We are going to the Church House Inn in Marlton, down the hill there. I'll tell you why. It's because we were going to uh, have the, their New Year's Eve dinner, which was a fantastic menu. Nobody was at home. All of our kids were doing something different, and we thought, just the two of us, we'll go down to Marlton, we'll have a great meal. What happened? Lockdown. Mm. So they are sitting on good money, which I gave them to reserve that meal. And as a good Scotsman, I want my money back. <laughs> I'm going there for lunch, and you know, I, I, I've earned that. I've paid it already. It's, it's, it's me that's done it. And I, I, I uh, uh, will get very annoyed with them if they say, oh, no, no, sorry, we spent that money already. Because it's mine. I deserve it. Now, salvation, God's rescue plan, is not something you deserve. It's something you're given for free. 
And accepting it is dead simple. It's simply a matter of saying yes to Jesus and allowing him to come in and be Lord of your life and future. That's all that's involved. But it's, it's so simple. Many people think it can't be that, that, that easy. It is. The Bible says that once you become a Christian, your name is written down in heaven. And nobody's going to rub it out. We spent an amount of time at the zoo on Friday uh, looking around for a signboard. <laughs> and we found it. We found it. Wait, is there the name of Emily Walker on it? Because she is sponsoring a giraffe. And she was actually wearing a T-shirt that day that said, I'm just a girl that loves giraffes. And so there we go. I tell you all about Emily, that one. But um, it was great. It's there. And nobody can take that away. It's right there in the middle of the zoo. And you can go and see it anytime you like. And uh, it's similarly, your name is written in heaven if you're a Christian. And sometimes, you know, when you've not been a Christian very long, you might think, has anything really happened? I mean, it was so simple. It was so easy. Is, is it? It's secure. It's real. It will go on forever. And all you have to do is accept it. However, there are some people in the early church who are having a bit of a hard time with that. Because they'd become aware that people who were not Jews were becoming Christians. And so they, they, they wanted to say, you, you, it can't be that easy. You've got to keep all the rules. If you really want to be a Christian, I don't care if you're Greek or Turkish or whoever you are, you've got to be circumcised, which is a slightly painful operation. Let's not go into that this morning just before lunch. But you know, they, they were saying there's all sorts of stuff that needs to happen to you. You've got to become basically Jewish and keep all of our laws. Now, the Christians had worked with this for a, a while by now, and they'd realized this is not the case. If you're Jewish, you might want to hang on to those customs. If you're non-Jewish, there is no need for you to do any more than the bits and pieces that they say here in the passage. For the Gentile believers, we've written to them that they should uh, abstain from immorality, the meat of strangled animals, all of that sort of stuff. And some of those things were because um, they're against God's law anyway. Uh, God doesn't want them to sleep around. And some of those things were because they would offend Jewish sensibilities. And so some people say, well, you know, Paul was just caving in here, wasn't he? He was just giving in to the Jews. He should have stood firm and said, no, I am free in Christ and we will not do this stuff. But actually, that's not right. Uh, uh, and and, and th these people say, because he didn't stand up for the truth, he spent four years in jail when he could have been preaching. So serves him right. Take the wrong decision, you end up in jail. <laughs> that's God saying, I'm not very pleased with you this week, Paul. Is that the way it was? I don't think so, because it doesn't make sense. First of all, Paul wasn't trying to impress the Jewish authorities, was he? Did you notice in the passage, the leaders of the church say, you can see, brother, how many thousands of the Jews have believed. In other words, it's believing Jewish Christians he was trying to help, not all of the Jews. And he was just trying to make them feel more comfortable with him. That was all going on there. Luke never says anywhere in Acts that Paul made the wrong choice here. He doesn't say anything about that, does he? Third, everybody was very clear in the church that the Gentiles didn't have to keep the law. And the elders say, don't they? We've sent this letter out. You were part of the council in Acts chapter 15 who decided this letter. And this letter says the things that the Gentiles really must do and the things that don't really matter. So this all falls apart, it seems to me. And Paul has, has made his attitude clear in the letters he's already written. He said at one point he would endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians 9, where he talks about, if I'm talking to Jewish people, I talk in a Jewish kind of a way. If I'm talking to Gentiles, I talk in language that they can understand. And he says, I'm willing to be all things to all men in order that they can understand and accept the gospel. 
And he's very, very clear about that. So all he's doing here is not giving up on the gospel and going back into being Jewish and keeping rules and regulations. What he's doing is making people feel more comfortable. I think what he's trying to do, basically, is to balance two important principles. On the one hand, defending the truth, saying, no, it is not necessary to do any of this stuff to become a Christian. All you have to do is accept that Jesus died on the cross for you and allow him to be Lord of your life. On the other hand, he's trying to give people time to get used to what's going on. Because if you've been brought up in a certain way, you might find it uncomfortable to move outside the things that you're used to. You know, there are patterns, ways that you feel familiar with. And when that changes, it can be very unsettling. You tried to change it for us a few weeks ago when you reversed the order of things at communion. We got the wine first and the bread afterwards. And it feels funny. Ooh, why did we do it in that way? That's odd. But actually, they did it that way in some of the early churches we know from documentary evidence. And we get used to our own patterns of doing things. Why am I wearing a tie this morning? Why am I the only built man in the world wearing a tie? Yes, I am. Well, you know, you might think it's just because he's stuffy and formal and boring and out of date. But actually, I find in some... No, there's another tie back there. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, sorry. But uh, um, you might think it's, it's, it's just because there's a way I like to dress. Wrong! Have I worn a tie all week? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you noticed. Um, but I don't normally do that. But I found that when I go and preach in some churches, people expect a little bit of formality. You know, and they don't feel right unless the guy who's standing up front and looking important, you know, is actually uh, dressed in, a, in a, a way that's slightly formal. So I try to strike a balance. I mean, you won't get me coming in top hat tails or anything like that. But I will try to look as, 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 as much as, as if, you know, I've actually washed myself and dressed myself properly and had a shave, you know, just because I'm taking this occasion seriously. And so you do things, don't you, sometimes that are not familiar to you just because they make other people feel a bit more at home with it. And Paul was very alive to the possibility of putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel, doing something that would make people think, I don't belong here. This is not me. This is not for me at all. And so he's trying to keep a balance between those two things. And uh, uh, if you're um, on on Zoom in the evenings, we're going through Galatians chapter 2 at the moment, where Paul talks about how he went up to Jerusalem sometime before this, and he took with him a guy called Titus, who was a Greek. And the debate about, you know, do, what do Gentile Christians have to do was big at that point. And there were some people in the church in Jerusalem who said, Ah, Titus, he's a Greek. Okay, he's got to be circumcised right now. And Paul stood out against that and said, No, no, no way. That's not going to happen. Because we've got to defend the principle that people can come to Christ without having to jump through the hoops that you guys have jumped through for hundreds of years. But at the same time, he wanted to give people time. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 9. Let us decide, no, this is Romans 12, sorry. Let us decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. If I cannot worship with you because your behavior makes me feel uncomfortable, I have a problem, you have a problem too. I'm responsible to let you see Jesus in me rather than my habits and prejudices and ingrained uh, patterns of living. And you've got the same responsibility to me. So that's what he was trying to do. And uh, 51 years ago, a movement was, was started amongst Jewish people, which is just showing the sense in which Paul was doing. It's called Jews for Jesus. It was started by this guy on the left there, Moishe Rosen, who has now died. And uh, he was a Jew himself who became a Christian when he was in his early 20s. And he just wanted Jewish people to find the truth about Jesus. But he realized that most of them were never going to go into a church or anything like that. 
Most of them had bad, bad memories of the Holocaust and the way they'd been treated at school and all sorts of things. And most of them had been brought up in a, a very strong Jewish culture with certain food that they would eat and certain food that they wouldn't eat and all kinds of observances and things that were part of their normal life. And so he started Jews for Jesus to say, you can still be Jewish and be a Christian. And out of that has come a, a tremendous worldwide movement, the Messianic uh, uh, um, Jewish movement, which has all sorts of different forms and varieties nowadays, but it's based on the same thing. Stay Jewish, the things you've always done, but believe in Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. And Jews for Jesus has had a worldwide impact. And as you can see from those guys manning the table down at the bottom, all sorts of Jews have been converted to faith in Jesus without leaving their culture behind. And it's important, isn't it, to make a distinction between what's just cultural, what's just stuff that we're used to doing, and what's really the basic essential of what we believe. Well, what else have we got to say? For, that Paul was put into prison uh, for four years after this. And you might think, well, that was a complete waste of time, wasn't it? Why would God allow that to happen? And I think there are several reasons why it was a good reason for Paul to go into to jail at this point. <laughs> for one thing, and I'll not put this one down, he was getting a bit old. You know, there's a limit to the number of shipwrecks you can go through and still stay healthy, right? And I think God realized he needed a bit of a rest. But there's more to it than that. For one thing, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, had time to write Acts and his gospel uh, because Paul was in jail. Luke was one of Paul's friends. And while Paul was in jail in Caesarea in, in Israel, Luke was kicking his heels. And we know from the gospel he wrote that he must have spent some time going around and talking to people, particularly women, because Luke paid more attention to women than most men did in his day. And he talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He talked to Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward chooser, who'd become a Christian. And all sorts of other people who, whom the other gospel writers don't tell us anything about. And he gets their inside track on the Jesus story. And Luke is a fascinating gospel because clearly Luke did two years of pretty solid research before he sat down to write a book. He would not have been able to do that if Paul had been charging around the place and right, come on, pack your bag, Luke, tomorrow we're in Philippi. You know, he couldn't have done that. And so he had to do what he did. That was in God's plan. I think also Paul met face to face with some very important people. He'd been arguing the toss with people in small synagogues all over Asia Minor for I don't know how long. But because he was arrested, he got to be put in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was kind of like the Jewish religious government. They were the real high ups in, in, in Judaism worldwide. And Paul went and stood before them and was able to talk about what he actually believed. He was able to go in front of the Roman governor. He was able to go to Rome. There were all sorts of people who would never have met the Apostle Paul normally who met him because he was a prisoner. He writes a, a letter uh, to the Philippians from jail and says, don't worry that I'm in jail because, you know, I'm, uh, it's my way of reaching the Praetorian Guard. I'm, I'm uh, handcuffed to a soldier right through the waking day so I don't run away. And we have to talk about something. So I always talk about God. And the, the soldiers I think, no, no, he's gone about God again. He's on about this Jesus customer. And they're all becoming Christians. It's good stuff. <laughs> and so that was part of uh, God's plan as well. Third, other Christians realized they had a job to do. You see, you could easily have left it to Apostle Paul. He was a dynamo. He went everywhere, did everything. And uh, I'm nearly done, guys, so don't worry. Okay, we're, this is, I promise you, the last slide. Okay, but... Um, other Christians realized when he went to jail that they had a job to do. They had to stand on their own feet. They couldn't rely on him all the time. And so it goes on with more reasons. Finally, he got the chance to go to Rome. He dreamt of going to Rome, the capital of the empire, for years and years. 
He didn't dream of going there and then a ship, a ship that would be shipwrecked and in chains at the same time. But hey, that's any way that gets to Rome is good news. And so he did that. And all of this, which seemed like a waste of time, was part of God's plan for the advance of the gospel. So, sorry, I was, I was lying. There's one more slide, and here it is. What does all of this have to say to us now? There's lots of stuff you could draw out of this passage, but let me just draw out four very simple things. First of all, we need to stand out up for the freedom that Jesus brings. It mustn't get encrusted with all sorts of rules and regulations. I remember when I was in my, my 20s, uh, my very early 20s, I developed a girlfriend who lived in a church in the north of England that was very, very strict. And they weren't sure about letting me in to start with. But after a while, they thought, well, he looks as if he might be vaguely human. Okay, we'll let him preach on a Sunday night. I tell you, this was the hottest night that the Wirral Peninsula has ever seen. It was absolutely sweltering. I remember saying to my prospective father-in-law before the service started, it's going to be absolutely killing in there tonight. How do you think people would feel if I took off my jacket? And you think I'd, I'd suggested, how would you feel if I murdered five people in the front row? You know. Because he was kind of, you can't do that. They would be so offended. I, I don't really think that's a good idea. So I said, fair enough. Kept my jacket on and the sermon was dreadful, I can tell you. <laughs> but you know, that kind of little thing that matters so much, if it gets in the way of other people understanding what Jesus is about, it's just a hindrance. It's an obstacle. And we need to fight for the freedom that says, just as you are, Jesus will have you back. You don't have to do anything special first. You just have to take his free gift. And then your name's written up outside the giraffe. Sorry, in heaven. Yeah, okay. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, we also need to pursue what makes for peace, as Paul, said, uh, Paul puts it. We don't need to unnecessarily offend people. Now, I remember when uh, it was normal in, in, in Britain for ladies who came to church to wear a hat. And that was based on one reading of the New Testament that not many people observe anymore. And uh, lots, of, lots of girls especially younger girls, decided just to leave their hats at home. Now, that would have been fine if they'd known why they were doing it. But by and large, it was just a fashion thing. I'm not wearing one of those things. I never wear a hat, so I'm not going to do it. And all sorts of older people were offended as a result of that. You shouldn't do that. It's just causing unnecessary, uh, unnecessary tension, isn't it? I'm not saying wear a hat in church. Okay, fair enough. I'm not, I'm not, not going for a return to the 1950s. But what I am saying is little things that we do can upset brothers and sisters. And if you sit all your way through a service thinking, that girl is not wearing a hat, instead of thinking, oh, I want to worship God, then something is going wrong, isn't it? So, um, pursue what makes for peace. Third, understand that we'll be misunderstood and written off anyway, just like Paul was. He did everything he could do to bend backwards in this passage to make people feel comfortable and at home, and his enemies still went for him. <laughs> so sometimes being a Christian, as we've been saying to people this week, is not an easy life. There's a lot of difficulties to face in following Jesus. It's just the most worthwhile life you can have, and that's all. And you find out that the end result of all of the trouble and difficulty and everything else that happens will be that God's word will spread and other people will become Christians. And that, of course, is why Great Park is here today. Because when they shipped uh, Paul off to prison, they thought that was an end of it. And even in his captivity, uh, the church is stuck, kept on growing and multiplying until eventually the gospel reached a heathen place we call Paynton. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? And God does that. Through all of the difficulties, all of the problems, he's at work. And if we just preserve peace with one another, hang on to what the gospel is really about, do it right, 
we can see our churches grow as well. That's all I've got to say, Stevie. Am I handing back to you? Yeah. I am great. Okay. Can I just pray first? Is that all right? And the kids are pleased. Oh, no, he's just prolonging the agony here. It'll be very short prayer. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Help us to be very, very clear about what's involved in following you, really. Help us to be, uh, to stand on the freedom that you've given us through Jesus. But help us to not to upset one another unnecessarily. Older people, younger people, conservative people, uh, radical people, bubbly people, bold people. We need all sorts in your church. And we pray that we'll be able to live in peace and bring others in as they see there are no barriers to them being who they need to be in Jesus. We ask this for your name's sake. Amen.